Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Hey everyone, welcome to Education Suspended. Glad to have you back. I have to admit, recording these introductions is becoming harder and harder because it's it feels virtually impossible to summarize these amazing conversations that we're having. Um, but we have a really good, a really good connection today with Chris Barfield, who is a school leader at Urban Dove. And by school leader, that's what they use for their term of principal. And he's had a really awesome career in education. He started as a physical education teacher, became a dean, and now is the school leader of a absolutely dynamic and I think game-changing, no pun intended, lens and approach on how to bring academics to kids and students. And it's all through athletics. Um, So yes, I realize I'm biased because I find myself very drawn to athletics and it was an active part of my life, but I really think what they're doing here is a game-changer. Chris shares with us so many amazing stories. He is quite the storyteller himself. He brings up this theme about failing forward, growing from our mistakes, um, and really puts in perspective the importance of helping educators understand dosing, right? How do you find the appropriate level of stress in both the academic setting and how that translates to settings outside of academics for our students? So we're super excited that we finally got to have Chris on our podcast. We have been after him and the Urban Dove team for quite some time. So we're really appreciative of his time and we hope you all enjoy this episode. So sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with Chris Barfield. You know, we're so grateful that you're joining us. We have been wanting to get Urban Dove on Education Suspended from the moment we heard about your school. So I can't wait for you to share everything that you do and what Urban Dove is about. But Chris, we start all of our episodes the same. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself to our listeners, talk about what you do, how you got there. Um, and then if you can reflect on your own educational experience and what that was like for you. And if there's any connection between that and where you're at now, um, and then we'll just um, jump in after that, but let's go ahead and start there. All right. Well, hello. How are you? Uh, <laughs> my name is Christopher Barfield. I am currently the school leader or principal of Urban Dove Team Charter School, the initial school, which is in located in Brooklyn. We have two locations. Uh, I was initially hired as an assistant principal at the Bronx location where I served as the director of youth development and the director of development oversees the social emotional side of our programming of the school. So at that time I supervised our deans, which are behavior specialists and our social workers, along with our sports-based youth development coaches, which makes us the most unique charter school in the city of New York. We have our sports-based youth development coaches who are not just athletic coaches, they are also life coaches. We are a sports-based transfer high school. Uh, transfer high school meaning that our students get a second chance to graduate. They weren't that successful in their prior high schools and they come to us and they get a second chance. But we require that every student plays a sport because we believe that learning our core values, which is teamwork, leadership, communication, those three core values through sport can take you also through life. 
We use those skills in sport and competition to teach life skills in our school. So after serving as the director of development for four years, we opened a school in the Bronx. Um, I was then hired to be the principal at the Brooklyn School. But all this would not have been done without our fantastic founder and executive director, Jay Nanda, who had a vision that is the most unique vision in, like I said, in the city of New York, and I could probably argue the country. And it's unique because of the fact that we have this particular line of coaches who serve as pretty much case managers for our students, but also teaches them physical education and also is their athletic coach. So this is my first year doing that, but it's my fifth year serving in, this, in, in a capacity of educator and administrator inside the Urban Dub Team Network. So before you went to Urban Dove, what were you, what were you doing prior to that? Okay. So in the year 2000, I moved to New York to go to grad school and I became a physical education teacher. Um, I served as a physical education teacher and a basketball coach in that particular school for 11 years. But as a, I was a basketball coach every year from 2000 to 2018. Um, when I started working at Urban Dove, I stopped coaching. It's so funny because I didn't, I always felt I was a leader. But in 2008, when Barack Obama got elected, I felt that my leadership could serve a bigger capacity. And so then I left this school and became a uh, dean of discipline um, at a school for two years and then became their school leader for two years after that, while I was still coaching basketball. Then after that, I left to become uh, the director of student life at another school where I still served as a director of student life and athletic director. And I coached basketball, coached uh, flag football, and coached soccer. And after that, that's when I came to Urban Dub. So I've had a long history of uh, athletics and leading in athletics. I wanted to quickly ask, what years do you serve? Is Urban Dub a 9 to 12 school? Uh, we are three-year transfer school. So okay, three-year. It, it, you could say 9 to 12. It's 9 to 12 that's very rapid. Like we, we, instead of semesters, we use trimesters. Okay. Um, our job is to basically get our students to graduate. And what I've learned being there, and again, I'm not being biased, I'm just telling the truth, is that when they come to us after being not being successful in their prior schools, the work that we do with our students, they, be, they become pretty successful when they graduate. We graduate yeah. students higher than the majority, the vast majority of transfer high schools in the city of New York. Um, and I, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we really hone in in restorative practices. Our students understand that they do make poor choices, but they're able to restore those poor choices. We also, I think the reason why our students are successful with us is because we have so many layers of support. So like I just told you about our, our SBYD coaches, just so you know, each student that comes in, they're put on a team. That team is separated by gender, what they identify as, and they are together with that coach for three years. Wow. So building on our core values of teamwork, leadership, communication. So that's one layer. The other layer is that each grade level, we call it leagues because we're a sports-based school. So each league has their own social worker attached to it. Most schools don't have, they have one or two. We have three. On top of that, each student gets a mentor. So there's an adult in the building, whether it's teacher, it could be anywhere from someone who works in maintenance will have an adult person as their mentor to help them either come to school or any other needs the student has. And then after that, we have our, obviously our leadership team and myself, even I have mentees. Right. Those layers of support for our students who a lot of them don't, you know, obviously it's urban education, but a lot of them come from just really high level traumatic either experiences or homes. 
those layers of support really, really allow them to feel safe. And if they feel safe, then they'll learn. If they learn, they'll get credits. If they get credits, they'll graduate. And, and just one more kind of logistical question, but I'm so curious what sports you offer. Well, obviously, the first sport is basketball. That's a big sport. Um, kids are usually used to playing that. Uh, we have flag football. We have soccer. We have volleyball, boys and girls. Um, we have track. Uh, in the Bronx, they started baseball the, the, the year before I left. Because of the demographic, we have a high, there was a higher level of Hispanic kids in the Bronx. We'll have soccer because we have a higher level of Caribbean kids in, um, in Brooklyn. But yeah, we're always willing to offer more sports. The key is, is hiring the right youth development coaches to be able to properly teach the sport. Because it's not just about uh, the social emotional aspect of, of the, you know, of the school, because obviously you want the kid to feel safe, but you also want them to get some intentional teaching and they want it so we can, they can learn the skill of that sport. And again, we don't recruit, so we don't recruit athletes, right? We may get some, no, we've had some, but our job is to get everybody to play and participate. Cause like, just got, just like you guys know, you believe in this being an athlete has tremendous value when you're an adult. If you're an athlete as early on as a child or in high school, my own personal data for myself, I think it added a lot of value to my life and how I can handle working a team and leading a team or being a part of team as an adult. Can we stick with that theme for a second? I have so many questions that I want to go off on, but I want to stick with with what you just said about your own personal experience. Do you mind sharing what what your educational journey was like and and then connecting that to, to, to now? Sure. I was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut. And I went to high school. I went to middle, even middle school. Middle school and high school were highly competitive in athletics. I was an okay basketball player. I was a tremendous track athlete. I was a fast guy. Mom would not let me play football. Football coach wanted me to run special teams. My mother said no because she knew sports. She's like, you're crazy. Um, so that experience of, and the coaches I had then, while they were fantastic for the time, in my opinion, do not fit what I would like as a coach right now. However, I still learned a lot from them. And so the, the, the lessons I learned from them about, the, about commitment, about teamwork, about putting your team prior, putting your team before you, that has helped me in how I have helped coach and supervise our coaches. And even how I still consider myself as a coach now, as the leader of the school, and when I was an assistant principal director at the Bronx School, everything I do with my team is like coaching. Like with my assistant principals, we huddle before our, our meeting. We huddle after the meeting. I use sports analogies a lot. We do talk about right now, we're in the middle of the middle of the school year. So what I want to do, we're doing a reset now, right? We do a lot of stuff. We call it training camp early on, beginning of the year to get everybody excited about school. All of our, all of our practices we do in our school. As we move on, it's halftime now. We faded a little bit. Now we have to reboot, come out the second half, and play some hard defense to score. I use those analogies with everyone. And having that background in athletics has helped me apply that now. Okay. I want to go into these this layer of support, these layers of support, because I think that's that's genius. And obviously, I guess just to give some connection for how we all met. So we met you through a training through the Neurosequential Network that's yes. really focused on coaches. And so one of the things that all of us understand is that when you have a rich therapeutic web around you, 
that really translates into buffers against adversity, buffers against stressors, buffers against what some would define as trauma. And I think it's um, safe to say the kids that come to your school probably have a history of a limited therapeutic web, a limited buffer against adversity. So you were doing this before you learned this content. Where did that idea come from? So I would say coming into the school, there was always that layer there. We all know Megan Bartlett. She was one of our founding board members of the school. Her and Jay Nanda worked really close together. And coming in is when I, when I was, uh, Megan was, was doing professional development with our teams. I was starting to learn those concepts. Then some of the things that I was already applying as a human being going through with coaching, but it really, it really made me understand the differences from what we call old school coaching and teaching and now. I only, I only apply the genius. The genius was built with our founder and then having Megan work through us to make sure we lead, uh, lead the program and, and take it to the place we need to take it to, which is graduating kids, making kids feel safe. And the biggest trauma our kids have, by the way, when they come to us is educational trauma because they wouldn't come to us if they didn't have that. Um, and so that's the first thing we make make sure we play, make them feel safe in the school. And we, we get kids who you know have learned disabilities, but we also get kids who are really, really bright and get lost in those big giant schools. Um, we, there's a school not too far from our Brooklyn school that has 4,000 students. And so uh, one of the students said to me, oh, I love you guys. I said, why do you love us so much? He said, because you don't let us just, you know, smoke in the hallways and do all that. You hold us accountable. And to hear a student say that, it's like, wow, they really want to be held accountable. So yeah, so the ge- I'm only leading the genius. I like that. Um, and I just, I just want to clarify. So you have, you have these coaches, they're with their coach for three years and yes. I might've missed this. So I apologize. Are the coaches also teaching the academic content? So no. So we have teachers. So another, I'm sorry, I missed one more very important layer of support. Okay. Perfect. Each classroom has a, has two teachers in it. Two. Two. Educational support is there. How the coaches help with academics is every every week there's a slot for study hall. And so what happens is our coaches get the work. All our work's online. It's via Google Classroom. And our coaches look what assignments they need to get done, and they help them get those assignments done. Our coaches, only content our coaches teach is, we call it SBYD, but it's physical education and health and community circles. Each week, our students are learn how to articulate feelings, their emotions, in a setting where one student speaks at a time while others are listening. And if you know a little about circles and community circles, they have to have a talking piece and they have to move the talking piece. You can't talk on a talking piece. And so while it's tough at first because our students are not used to it, as it keeps happening every single week, our students then become familiar with it. And it's then used across, across the whole entire school. Today, we had a staff meeting. They have 70 staff members. How do we start our staff meeting? In the gym? In a circle. Because in a circle, everyone can see each other. And so the love is reciprocated all throughout. So yeah, so those are the, that's that's the three areas where our, our um, one, two, three, yeah, three areas our coaches actually teach content. Grainer, go ahead. I'm monopolizing. Oh no, I um I just want to be a student at your school for a, a second and have you walk me through what a day would feel like. 
I think it will give us a, a little concrete feel of of this these amazing layers that we're talking about. Okay. So when a student walks in, we scan them to make sure that we have no weapons because we just want to make sure that that's the case to make sure everybody feels safe. But when they come into our, we have music playing. They're sitting in a cafeteria. They're eating breakfast. They're relaxed. Our school is predominantly African-American. So we play a lot of music that is applicable to what they like, minus all of the explicitives. Um, and then after, after that, they go to their class. Um, every, every first period is academic. So the coaches transition to class, sets them up for success. We are a positive behavior incentive school, which means that we use what we call our TLCs, our core values, teamwork, leadership, communication, as a monetary method. So they earn a TLC and they keep adding these TLCs. Eventually, it, it can become dollar amounts, right? So after that, coach leaves, coach goes to the office, they do their work, kids are in class. This is the perfect day, kids are in class. Right before transition to the next class, coaches come back to retrieve the students and then they take them to the next class. Then they go to SBYD where they're learning whatever sports skill they need to learn because they're either in season or it's out of season. Right now we just started varsity basketball season. In the, in the fall, I mean, the winter is all, all basketball. So right now we have one female team and two male teams. Hopefully we, after, after we, we get further in, after COVID, we pull more, we have more students come in, we'll have way more teams. The Bronx has one, two, three, four, five basketball teams. So then after our kids go through the day, they go to lunch. Lunch is very free. Not only do we have the Department of Education lunches that we have to have, we also have a fantastic person in the kitchen who makes other things outside like pasta, fried chicken, all these things to get our kids. Oh, we try to use any trick of the trade to get our kids to come to school because that is the biggest, biggest issue we have is getting our kids to come to school. Um, and then as we go through the day, they're still going through classes and then they'll go to their Uber class, which is Uber is what I talked about. Uber is a section of the class. Don't know why they call it Uber. Always been called Uber. But one day will be study hall. One day will be health. One day will be team time. One day will be community circles. And then at the end of the day, four o'clock is dismissal. Kids who are highly engaged in sport, they're staying because they either have a game. Kids who are trying to get in, you know, they'll, be, they'll watch or they'll go home and we'll try to, you know, keep, try to re-engage them. So that's the perfect day. Now, social workers pull kids for counseling. There's mandated counseling that students with individual education plans have to have. And then there's just regular counseling that students either request or their family requests. When you walk in the building as a student, you will automatically feel the love that our staff provides. And I, I was talking to a staff member today about this. It's so funny because I was saying, when we get our students to come to our school, they enroll in our school, they're not, they're not used to people loving them this way. They, a lot of our students have trust issues with adults. And so it takes time for them to really receive us in a way like, oh, these people really care about me and I'm not, they're not trying to hurt me. So like our award ceremony, when they get awards, because they're probably not used to getting awards at all, they look so surprised and dumbfounded like, oh, I got excellence in social studies? Wow. And we try our best to celebrate our students all the time, as long as our staff, because our staff work really, really hard. Uh, I'm going to ask one thing about the staff right away, because I know Jessica and I will want to go there, sure. is how do you all support each other as the Urban Dove staff? That's a, that's a great question and probably hard to answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think that like for the coaches, for example, when 
one is highly frustrated with dealing with some of our students because our students can be tough. Um, they'll tap out, another coach will jump in, right? Two teachers in the classroom, the same exact thing will happen. Uh, our leadership teams always step in and support staff when, when it's a need. I have an open door policy, unless I'm in a serious, serious meeting, and that's with staff or kids, but kids have to have a pass to come there. Unless they're highly escalated and they need to be in there to de-escalate, I'll do that. I'm always trying to give words of wisdom. I'm always trying to give some advice from my experience or model for the staff member how to handle a situation, especially when it comes to another child. I know some of my uh, directors love to tell our, our staff like, hey, you've been here four months in a row. You may need to take a mental health day, right? To replenish yourself. Um, we are allowed 10 days. I mean, I don't take any, but we're allowed 10 days uh, for the school year. So a, a technically a day a month. So um, that's really, really um, pushed upon because this work is very emotional. It's emotional on the physical level because we're dealing with sports and athletics. On an emotional level, because we take on, we have a lot of empaths as a uh, staff. And a lot of staff, they really take on our kids' issues because they really want to help them. So our social workers who have the bandwidth of, I can't even, I can't, can't imagine how they can handle this. They also help our staff with their stuff. So while I don't have an exact thing that happens, those are some of the things that we do. Even some of our kids support us. I was frustrated the other day. They said, oh, what do you need, Mr. Barfield? Oh, what? <laughs> That's nice. So, you know, we, 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 we try our best. We're not a perfect family, but we are always striving to be the best we possibly can be. Um, even when we have our, our, in our, our inner conflicts, we try to deal with the way that we have our students deal with it. So just like if so, if you have two students have a conflict, it's just not a suspension. And you come back. You have to be prepped because they have to have a mediation. And you don't throw two people in a mediation without being prepped, where each person can hold themselves, they're accountable, and what steps they need moving forward so everybody can move forward. The same thing that we do with students is the same thing we do with us. So if two staff have conflict, we do the same exact method. They get prepped, they come in for the mediation, they say where they were accountable, and what they need moving forward to be as professional as possible. Well, it seems like you said, you know, there's nothing quote unquote kind of specific, right? No algorithm, mm -hmm. but it's, it's the sense of culture that you create yes. and it's so deeply rooted that it's reciprocated by the students. And I think that, that right there, that data is extremely powerful. And it's a working progress. Let me tell yes. you, it's a work. sometimes I tell you the young ladies, they're so, they're much smarter than us men. So <laughs> their, their strategy around, okay, I'm going to go through this circle really quickly, but then I'm still mad at her. So then four months later, I'll come back at her. So we have to really be vigilant in making sure that we're going through the steps. And I don't care how many times they go through, they're going to have to go through because it's just, a life, it's just a life lesson. They have to learn how to be able to articulate their frustrations when they are upset. Because 10 years from now, when they're in the workplace, they can't just curse out their coworker because they won't have a job anymore. And so that, those are the skills and things we try to teach. That's why we keep them going through the same process over and over again if they have to. Do you feel like the utilization of sport in particular makes it, I don't know what word I want to use, more suitable, more acceptable, more normed for mistakes to happen and for small progress to be celebrated? I feel like I could see those two kind of lining up. Absolutely. We, we definitely, uh, we, we reward our students. And reward them means that 
uh, big things are great, right? You, you passed all your classes with a four. That's fantastic, right? Or you failed the last trimester, but you passed one class. We're celebrating that kid to the highest level to keep them motivated to, hey, I can pass two classes next trimester, right? So yeah. And then using sport, I mean, there's no better parameter of learning how to fail forward than competition. And once you can handle I, I, that, you'll handle that in the classroom as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that, um, how you effectively use competition, which is stress and tension, mm-hmm. brought in in a sort of a measured way. Well, I think that's the real value of sport. But also, you have a lot of kids um, probably aren't used to that. And how, how do you how is that working? How, how are you managing the to give them the competition they need to grow? but to give it in a dose that they can handle? It all depends on the student. So it's a lot of differentiation going on. A lot of differentiation. The best thing about neurosequential, the best thing I learned from that is understanding where they came from, knowing who they are now so you can get them prepared to get better. And so having that, our coaches really dive into getting to know our kids. So before they come, before they start competition, we have them do a, um, we call it SBYD intake. Social workers have an intake, but social emotional, we have one specifically around athletics. Were you an athlete? Did you play sports? What is it like when you lose? How are you are? Like they tell us the truth so we can be able to handle that as we move so we can understand what kind of dose they can get. Um, even the, even the, you know, even the athletes that we get, we have to figure out their dosing because we all know that there's some really fantastic professional athletes that can't handle <laughs> the, the winning or the losing. The fortunate but unfortunate thing about some of our students is that they've lost a lot in life. So sometimes losing is like, yeah, we did it. Um, and some, some of the students who have lost so much in life, when they get a taste of winning a little bit and then they lose, it becomes a struggle. So that's why those community circles are really, really important because coaches can really talk to the team and they can articulate what their frustrations were and how they can work on improving them. But it's not perfect. It, it, you know, it can get messy sometimes, but in that mess, that's where the learning happens. For everybody. Yeah. And Steve, I was, I was thinking a very similar thing because, you know, in season two, we did have Megan on this podcast. And one thing that we talked about is just kind of the, the, the decline in access to sport we're seeing across in particular in the United States. And so that was kind of one of my questions was you have all these students coming in with different skill levels. And you just said, you know, some are on a sports team and playing after school and some are not. How do you balance all the different levels that come in? And you kind of just answer that, but is there anything else that you do to balance that level? First and foremost, every student is required to play a sport. We kind of figure out in their SBYD who is really active and who's not. This is why our coaches have such a hard job because they have to really try to engage the students who aren't engaged. Um, and so that becomes a struggle as well. So is up happening for some of our coaches is that they'll give them jobs. So for example, if they're running a scrimmage, a, a student can run the clock. A student can hand out the uniforms. Like anything that can start, right? We start low and get them to a place where they can either just put on the jersey and sit on the bench. Maybe get them in the game for a minute. Like th- that dosing is really important for the students who really maybe weren't athletes or are athletes, but are scared to perform. So that's, that's what we try. And we try every day. <laughs> I love every that. Every day. I love it. And then my next question is, so you, you, you use incentives, right? So you have this, yeah. uh, this program that they can earn. TLCs. Extrin- yep. TLCs, extrinsic rewards. 
how do you all ensure that there's a developmental relevance? Because you have kids coming in from all different capacities. And so I'm sure what is appropriate of an expectation for one kid might not be where the next kid is at. So how do you balance that for all the students so that they can all be successful? Again, it's about knowing where the kid comes from and where they are currently, right? And so a TLC is literally just uh, exemplifying teamwork, leadership, or communication. In any capacity, you'll do that. So for example, for me, every two weeks is our grading period. We, we kind of assess where our kids are at with attendance and their passing rates. I send an email to the students every two weeks, and part of that email shows them who is all passing all five of their classes. Whoever does that will get five TLCs from me specifically, right? So it fluctuates. It depends. The, but what I did not mention about the TLCs, the biggest competitive program we have in our school is called the UD Cup. Now, I told you each uh, student is placed on the team when they enroll. And they were with that team for three years. So we have four teams in League One, three teams in League Two, two in League Three. Each team is competing to get the most TLCs for the trimester and for the year. And the teams who have the most at the end compete in a UD Cup competition, whether it's physical, whether it's something using your brain, whatever it is. And that team gets the UD Cup and has bragging rights to the next year. We push that more than we push our athletics because that is the fundamental reward, ultimate award for youth development. Because earning those TOCs is all part of some type of youth development they displayed moving forward. And it's a big deal. Our kids really, and our coaches, oh my gosh, they and everybody's placed on a team. So even I'm on a team. Every adult's on the team. And so every adult wants to win the UD Cup. When they win the UD Cup, they get the bragging rights, they get a, they get a trip, and they get a nice varsity jacket. And just so you know, in four years, I've not won a jacket. <laughs> My team just team went to the championship once, and then you know. But this year we're looking pretty good. My my team members. You, you got to step up your game. I can't forge TLCs. I got to do it correctly. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. One one other thing I I will like to ask because I just can tell you're a storyteller. Or am I wrong? No, uh, you're absolutely correct. I love to talk. I know there, you know, it always helps me to get a story of a kid, girl, boy, doesn't matter. You know, a, a story of resurgence, a story of finding that kid's soul, of celebrating that child's soul because it was so buried under so much. How about one, even five minute story? <laughs> Might not be five minutes, but I got one for you. Believe me. Our first, our founding year at Urban Dove in the Bronx, which was 2018. I got our first class of students in there, gang-related kids. Oh, I've worked with it. I'm not, I will work with any child. One young lady came in. Really, she was nice, but you could tell she had been bullied in other schools. So then she started bullying people at our school. Uh, she got into multiple fights with boys and girls. Was having issues with some staff members, but always got good grades. She cared about her grades. 2019 happens, 2020 comes, and we have COVID, right? We're all locked down doing this right here. She ends up getting pregnant and having a baby. And before that, she was in such a big fight, she came close to getting arrested. All that to say, she became our valedictorian, and now she's in college. And when I think of this young lady and our relationship, her and I, 
which was a really good relationship because she just was really honest with me. And I always love when Susan's honest because if you're honest, I can have your back. She was always honest about her learning, always honest about how she felt and always honest about where she wanted to go. She always knows she needed help with her anger and how she did that. And she used all the levels of support that she could use. She was not afraid to use it, not at all. And it worked. And she's now living a life where, you know, she's a young mother, but she's in college. And she's going to make her life better for her, herself and her child. Um, I think is one of the best success stories I've had as a educator, just not in Durban Dove, as an educator. It reflects so much of the culture of, of relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Even, even through the TLC, all of it is within the premise of reciprocal relationships. You to them and them to you. I always tell people all the time, I say, listen, once you build strong relationships and relationships to me, right, is not permissive relationships. I say love means that you praise for the good stuff and you hold accountable for poor choices. That's what love is. And I tell that, I tell that to students all the time. If someone allows you to do what you want, when you want, how you want, without any feedback, that's not, they don't love you. And so building relationships is the core of what we do at Urban Dove, which, which is the reason why we have all those layers of support. Yeah, absolutely. So as, as we start wrapping up, I, I want to go back to you as an early educator, to Chris as a teacher before he even, even thought about an amazing place like the Urban, Urban Dove. If you reflect on all the years that you have since then, what would be some of the the lessons that you wish that you would have known then as an, as a teacher, because I think one thing that, that I can see being hard for, for educators listening, for parents listening, for administrators listening is like, Oh, that's great. That's a, that's a pie in the sky. That's not our reality. We're a public school. We're underfunded. We underpay our teachers. So what, what would you say to, to, to the early educator of yourself? I would tell myself one, you have to learn how to differentiate more. Um, you, you can't expect everyone to have the same level of skill. You can't expect to have everybody's physical skills. You can't expect every student to have the same emotional skills. So how you teach, how you coach has to be differentiated per student. That means you have to really get to know the student. Uh, I always say to Megan, like, where were you when I started coaching in the year 2000? Even though I'm older than Megan, but where where were you back then? Because I would have been such a better coach understanding the principles of consistency and predictability, how they equal safety. Um, so those are the things I would have told myself. I would The new or the current Barfield would tell the younger 23, 24 Barfield when he started teaching. And we are, we, we sound, may sound like a pie in the sky. And I believe we are a pie in the sky, but to get to that piece, that pie, it's a lot, it's a lot of ingredients we put in it. It's in a lot of, you know, sometimes it gets sloppy, but the key is the effort. The consistent, intentional effort to do what we do in our school with our practice under our practice, our restorative practices, we're neurosequential, nonviolent, uh, Christ intervention. That's what we do. Those three huge things that we do, if we keep on working on that and getting coaching and professional development on that, then we're going to get to that pie in the sky. But we're definitely can be messy sometimes, but that's all education in all places. Yeah. So you talked about, right, you have all these ingredients, make it make it possible. It gets messy for a teacher listening, for an administrator listening right now who are in a normal traditional public school. What would be, you know, one to two things that you would suggest 
that they could utilize to begin modeling some of, even, even from the movement perspective, not even sport, from, from the movement perspective of what you do, that you would say, hey, try this, or hey, try that? So, I mean, this was, I mean, I don't know how this would, uh, how this would run in a uh, traditional uh, public school, but movement is key. I always felt that the reason why I was a successful student was because I was I participated in some type of ac- athletics or movement from the time I was four years old. So from ice skating to tennis to track to basketball, all the way up, I did that. And I think that discipline helped me in school. Also, I'm a firm believer that when you move, it helps your brain, right? Um, so it, I would honestly recommend for any of these people in, edu- in public education that are wondering how to help your school uh, get better, I would really recommend neurosequential modeling sport because that literally changed. It was an epiphany for me about how we need to move moving forward in any capacity, even in my personal life. I try to understand where everyone's coming, where they are in their brain when they're having these conversations with me or they're frustrated where they are and what I, what intervention I can use or support I can use to help them regulate when they're that frustrated, anyone I deal with. Also, I will also recommend uh, teachers to really dive into restorative practices. We have a lot of traditional teachers or, or people who, who think it's my way or the highway. And again, differentiation, I've said this over and over again, if we're playing a drinking game, you would get drunk because differentiation is really the key to how people learn. The three of us here, probably, you know, you, you two are much brighter than me, but we're all pretty bright. But we all learn differently. And I think that's where the work has to come in. Well, my last comment is, a, there's a term, Chris, and Jessica knows I say this one quite a bit, that I've thought about a lot. And I think about it in relation to the populations we all serve, where attachment has been really a sorely missed aspect of early childhood. There's been a, a real lack of attachment. And I'm sure you see that come out in a multitude of ways. And we've started to talk a lot about how, how does a high school kid get that back? It's like, you can't, you know, we'd like to rock them. We'd like to sing to them. We'd, we'd love to comfort them, but we can't. And, and we know that, and that wouldn't be acceptable. But there's something that we think about now called active attachment. And that is being on a team, being shoulder to shoulder, doing work together, doing meaningful, th- doing all the layers of things you do at your school. And I think we underestimate the, the power of that attachment because it's active and moving. And as Jessica brought up the whole idea of movement, um, that's the way I think we can start to attach our kids and let them feel really loved and safe and all the things that you've mentioned several times. But I'm just applauding you and your and your school for the level of active attachment that you allow these kids to have when they've missed so much of it when they were young. I love what you do. And I, I hope any teacher out there, Jessica, can listen to that and say, we can find ways to do that, to get kids shoulder to shoulder doing meaningful work. I think that part of the active attachment also for us is our students know what to expect when they come to school every single day from the staff. They're unpredictable themselves because they're students, but I make it my business to really teach consistency and predictability. 
because if they can they get that, they will feel safe because a lot of that active attachment is being safe, right? They have to feel safe in the school. And you can't do that by being an unpredictable adult. I tell the staff all the time, I'm like this every day. So just like this positive, happy, this is what it is. Even when I'm frustrated, I go, I get frustrated in my closet, in my office. I come back, I'm like, hey, if I came to work one day happy, one day sad, one day mad, you wouldn't feel safe as staff members. It's the same exact thing we have to apply for our kids. Um, I say it's Disneyland when you walk in the door because everything that we're human beings, we have issues. But when you walk through the doors of Urban Dove in, in any capacity, everything should shut down. Everything else should be brightened up. And we should welcome our kids with all the love and the consistency and predictability that they deserve. If that happens. They'll feel safe. And like I said, learning will happen. It's interesting that you say that because I would also say, even though you want it to be Disneyland, you're also teaching them how to deal with tough emotions mm-hmm. and you're modeling that. So it's seeing, you know, cause I also, I don't want people to hear that. We don't want teachers to also be able to have a space that they can be themselves, but you all are, are balancing that really well and how you model that. And your example that you gave earlier today and in this session was you, when you were having a rough day, you had kids that had learned the skills to do what they have been given and to ask you, Hey, Barfield, are you all right? Is there mm-hmm. something that we can do? And so that I think it's Disneyland, but in a way that it's it's safe and you're still teaching. You yeah, know? Disneyland, I mean, I meant for like the adult when they walk in the door. Now, yeah, <laughs> as the periods go, right? And it gets yeah. a little frustrating. When I say Disneyland, like tapping out, right? That's a part of it because you're still keeping yourself regulated because a regular, like you all know, a, a regulated adult will help regulate a child. The other way is just not fire and fire is just not going to put a fire out. So those are the layer supports we talked about earlier for staff to staff support tapping out. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's you get to a point where if it's, if, our, if we become more consistent and predictable, when it is a level of unpredictability, our kids will be able to handle it better, and that is the key. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of Disneyland, Barfield, this. <laughs> I feel like I'm at Disneyland talking to you. Like you have been so insightful. I know an hour passed fast. I told you this was going to happen. Every time it goes so quick. You are doing phenomenal work. You are a phenomenal leader. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for your time. I'm grateful for what you do and also recognize that you're surrounded by a phenomenal team. So, so please pass your, pass our gratitude on to everyone that you work with and the kids. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's I will. Phenomenal yeah. what you're all doing. Um, but thanks for joining us. I know, I know you're so busy. It's, it's meant a lot and keep doing the good work, Barfield. You are an inspiration. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so yeah. much. Just a little piece. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks everybody. Mm-hmm.